Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, and uh, you can go online to Calvary.online, click today's message, you'll see all the notes, they'll unfold uh, for you there. But uh, uh, you, you guys have noticed that since the beginning of 2019, really, God's been speaking to us and really parallel, paralleling the, the, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and, and, and even speaking some very prophetic things, even down to the day that we started our fast, which we realized that um, after, uh, after we had already set the dates and everything, that God said, this will be to you the first month and on the 10th day you call the people together. It's an amazing thing. It's connected to Passover, but for us it was the beginning of a fast. And so... Um, we, we begin to understand that we were on a timeline, that God was speaking to us, and that these stories were more than stories to us, but actually a map that we could use this year about how each and every one of us could, could step into and move toward God's promises that he's laid out for us. And I know many of us enter a new year, and we, we, uh, we uh, des- decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some changes you know, and, uh, and some of our changes, lots of them are related to health, and that's good. I think, uh, you know, some people go out in January and uh, they go and buy a gym membership because then they think, well, I'm going to buy a gym membership because if I buy a gym membership, I'm going to feel obligated to work out. Has that ever worked out for anybody? No? 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 Yeah, yeah, nope, nope. Uh, I actually, uh, I actually uh, did something similar to that. Um, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to get a new pair of running shoes. I'm, I'm believing, man, this year I'm getting back into running. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back into that place. And I went and got them, and I put them on. I'm like, yeah, motivated to do some running. Anybody buy a new pair of shoes in January? Am I the only one? I repent. Oh, oh praise God, we're together. <laughs> Me, you, and the other woman from first service are, are going to be in like a Shoppers Anonymous program or something. Um, anyways, uh, and so you, you get those new tools and you're like, man, these new tools are going to help me on my journey. And I, I just want to tell you that all of these sermons in 2019 are not just because we want to give you uh, just a neat sermon to collect. We believe God wants to give you some new tools for the journey. He wants to equip you. He wants, you to, he wants to motivate you. He wants you moving into what he has for you. This is the hour, Calvary, where we are going to lay hold of God's promises. But we don't ever lay hold of what God is saying to us without doing things and knowing things that he shows us through his word. His word is of utmost importance. And today I want to share a message called Moving in Victory. Last week I spoke a, a message called Moving Forward. And in between the chapters of Moving Forward, which is all the story about the Red Sea parting, uh, we, there's a lot of things that happen. So I, 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 could, have, uh, I could have titled a, a, and done a ser- sermon called Moving Into Supply, how God supernaturally provided for two million of his kids, bread in the morning, quail in the evening. I could have, I could have uh, uh, titled a message uh, Moving in the River. All my Pentecostals in the house just love that title. About how God comes down and gives, rock, gives water out of a rock. 
how God loves to send water out of obscure places. I think the, the yeah, I could preach that. Sometimes I feel like Calvary is a lot like that rock. God wants to send water out of an obscure place. So I could have said moving in the river or moving in supply, but this, the, this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, no, 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 I want you to share about moving in victory. Because I, I think so, so much of what's going on in the church is really about defeat. If you look at all of the stats that are out there, there's a lot of gloom and doom attached to the church. A lot of things, a lot of things that you, you look at those things and you're like, oh man, it's terrible. They, people say church attendance is going down, that many people aren't being won, that, that, that maybe uh, by the time our, our kids are hitting 18, it's really only 4% of our population is actually going to be Bible believing. And I, I just look at all of that and I say, well, you can participate in that if you want to. I'm going to move into the victory that God has declared that I'm going to have that he declares in his word so you can have the stats, you can have the trends, I'm going with God. And when you begin to walk with God, you begin to walk in victory. You begin to walk in victory. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to participate in any of that. Calvary's not going to participate in any of that, and I don't want that to be presumptuous. That is a statement of faith. Believing that God's going to do a work so deep in you that you can't help yourself but to bring five people with you to church. That you can't help yourself but to knock on your neighbor's door. And, and you can't help yourself but to go overseas and preach the gospel. That you can't help yourself but to, to begin to pray and to begin to reach and begin to dream about the ministry God put in your heart. We have to move into victory. And God's word teaches us how to do that, and we're going to read a passage together from Exodus chapter 17, just a few verses this morning, beginning in verse 8, says this, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand, so Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. This is an incredible story. This is an incredible story that will help us to marry two worlds. The world of the supernatural and the world of the natural. Because you and I are actually walking in both at the same time. And I want to suggest to you that if we are going to walk in victory and move into victory, we're going to have to learn how to do both this year. You can't just be in the heavenlies. And you can't only be right here on earth examining all of the problems that are going on right here on earth. You actually need one foot in the heavenlies 
and another foot firmly planted where God has called you to be planted. Now, in order to move into victory, there's just a, a few things I want to highlight to you today uh, from this story. And, and, and I want you to listen to the voice of the Lord. Because I believe today's message is going to have a very personal application where those details uh, that, 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 that I don't know about, that I'm not aware about, the Holy Spirit's going to illuminate those and show you in your own life how you can apply these principles and then move into victory. First thing you need to know when you begin to move into victory is this. We need to know what the enemy is fighting for. What's he after? We have to know what the enemy is after. And many times in the scripture, um, it's kind of hidden. And in this story, it's revealed in the very first verse that we read. Verse 8, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now what you need to understand is names mean something. Names mean something. In the Old Testament, they didn't just name something without it being connected to something deeper. And so here comes Amalek, grandson of Esau, the one that's been, you know, remember Esau and Jacob were fighting? So are their grandkids. Israel, now here comes Amalek. But it's not just that those two are fighting that's significant. It's where they're fighting. They're fighting in a place called Rephidim. Now, Rephidim has a really interesting definition. It's the place of rest. Amalek comes to fight them in the place of rest. By the way, this place is not their final resting place. It's not the promised land. It's not the final destination. But the name of the place is the place of rest. And when you and I begin to press in to God's promise for our lives, when our old Egyptians get drowned, you guys remember that? The, the old one that, that Jesus drowns our enemies as we get fully identified with him in baptism. As we get baptized in water and baptized in the cloud. And man, that slave master of sin is drowned and dead on the shore and we've left it behind. And we start to move into God's purposes for our lives. The enemy shows up. To get us out of rest. The enemy, as you begin to progress and push in to God's call on your life, you'll always find that rest is the first thing that gets attacked. You may get, you're free in Christ, you're born again, you're, you know you're headed to heaven, and now you start to pursue God's promises, and all of a sudden, rest comes under attack. Israel was done with Egypt. They're moving forward. 
Let me make this statement. The enemy will always try to get you out of rest because rest is the way of the kingdom. Rest is the way of the kingdom. Now, I want to kind of help you to understand, teenagers in the room, when I say rest, I'm not talking about your bed. I'm not talking about the couch. Sleeping is not this kind of rest. Some of you, if you aren't careful in this service, you'll try to enter into a different kind of rest. I'll call you out. I'll call you out. You better not go to sleep in here. I will call you out. Some of you, no, you, you know, we think that is rest. That's not rest. No, see, real biblical rest is when you enter into a real relationship with Christ. Notice what Hebrews says. Hebrews says this, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. See, diligence and rest. We, we, we see those things there together. This is not the absence of movement. It is diligence to press into a place that God has for us. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Let me explain it to you this way. Um, the rest in the kingdom of God is the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom is grace. The way of the kingdom is the grace of God, the undeserved favor, and his divine ability empowering us to do what he has called us to do. By the way, that's the full definition of grace. Not just unmerited favor, that's one side of it. It is also the divine empowerment to do what God has called us to do. So it is the way of the kingdom. Grace is the way of the kingdom. And, and, and what you need to understand is that when you start pressing in to God's purposes, the enemy shows up and tries to get you out of grace. He tries to get you out of grace. You come into God's kingdom by grace through faith, not of works. This is what Hebrews says. Listen, Hebrews says, listen, we, when we enter into the rest of God, we rest from our works and we are trusting in his work for us on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is what he has done for us. So well, I'm not striving to somehow attain more of God's love or more of, 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 of his forgiveness. No, I am simply abiding in what he has done. It's the way of the kingdom. It is the way of the kingdom. But make no mistake, the way of your flesh is works. Your flesh wants works. It's easier to understand. It's easier to get a grip on. It's like, nope, I, and I start to press in, Amalek shows up. Tries to get me out of rest. Man, when we come to God, we know we don't deserve it. We feel the weight of sin on our life. We're like, oh, 
And we know that God in his mercy parts the Red Sea of sin and drowns the Egyptians behind us as we follow him in his grace. And I just, wanna, I just want you to understand today that as you move closer and closer to God's promise, the temptation will be to rely on your flesh instead of relying on the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God to keep you, to sustain you, and to give you the persistence that you need to lay hold of what God is calling you to. See, striving in the flesh leads to weariness. And resting in God's goodness and grace leads to overcoming persistence. I've heard it over and over again. Oh, pastor, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't feel like I can do that anymore. I'm getting a little tired. I'm getting a little this or I'm getting a little that. And I understand there are seasons of people's lives where they, where they can't serve or where they can't do a few things. But I just want to let everybody know, listen, rest, refreshing doesn't have anything to do with your location. I've heard a lot of people say this, and it's really totally false. Sunday is my only day to get rest. Now, what, you, what they put in the parentheses as unsaid is this. And church gets in the way of my rest. Being with God's people gets in the way of my rest. Here's the latest study. The latest study says the average faithful person goes to church 1.9 times a month. That's less than 26 times a year. How many of you think you're really going to lay hold of God's promises with that heart? Uh-uh. No, no, no. Here's the thing. We've got the wrong idea about what will produce rest. The beach will not produce refreshing. It may be nice. It may bless you. Uh, the boat, gentlemen, on a Sunday morning, it's, it may be wonderful weather. Thank God for the rain today. Kept you here. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, it may be a lot of fun. You, you may clear your mind, but I'm telling you, it won't lead to rest. The scripture clearly says this, and we need to align our thoughts with what the scripture says. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And when, when two or three gather in his name, Jesus says, there I am in the midst. And the very thing that we think we're going to get on the beach or we're going to get in the vacation. And by the way, I'm all for going to the beach and I'm all for taking a vacation. I'm all for those things. I'm not against those things. I do those things. But I will not replace what I can only get in God's house with God's people with a counterfeit that will actually rob me and lead me to a less of a place of arrest. Make sure you know this. Amalek is coming to rob you of rest. And you need to be in the place where God says, no, 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 I'm going to restore you. That's not works. Man, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. I don't have to worship. I get to worship. What's the benefit of being connected to my father? You say, what's it look like to be in rest? Isaiah 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom in the Hebrew whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Where does your strength come from? It comes from him. It comes from just rejoicing in who he is. 
Oh, I love this. Psalm 55. Wasn't in my notes. It was a late edition. Verse 16 says, As for me, I will call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening, morning, and noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. Did you hear that? He has redeemed my soul in peace. He said, how did I get there? Man, I cried out in the evening. I cried out in the morning. I cried out at noontime, and God heard me. You say, to me, that sounds like works. You've got this thing flipped upside down. Man, we come before a throne of grace boldly for timely help. Remember, I don't have to pray. I get to pray. And when there are many that are waging war against me, some seen and some unseen, I cry out to the Lord. And when I cry out to the Lord, what's he do? He gives me victory in a valley called peace, in a valley called rest, as I rest in him. That's the place of real rest. That's the place. And it's found only by his grace. Second thing you need to know today, if you're going to move into victory in this season, and we're going to see some things topple. We're going to see some things topple. Now, this is where it kind of turns the corner, okay? If we're going to see the addictions that have held you for decades toppled, it'll be because you grab hold of this one principle. You're going to move into victory. Here it is. We have to fight. We have to fight. We have to determine to fight. Uh, Moses says to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. I want to share this with you. Our battle in this life over God's promise and desire for us is not only natural, but it's supernatural. It's not only natural, but it's supernatural. Here, Joshua has to go out and fight a natural battle. But there was a supernatural, invisible battle that was going on that was influencing the battle that was going on in the valley. And what I want to suggest to you is, church, that we need to learn how to fight in both places. Notice where Moses went. He went to the top of the hill. I was watching a video that was actually uh, shot by drone of the hills in this area. The real Mount Sinai. Incredible. But these are not just hills. They're like many mountains. If you were to see them, it's like, it's no small thing. He actually goes and he gets alone at the top of this hill with God, only with Aaron and her. And he gets up there because he has determined he is going to move things in the supernatural realm. 
You say, how does that apply to me? He's Moses. He's, he's got this great call on his life. Well, here's how it applies. What you do in the secret releases the unseen to change your circumstance. What you do in the secret. Moses went up and, and, and with, with his brother and with her and, and there he was in the secret. He wasn't down there in front of the armies. He's up there on the mountain. He got along with God. And while Joshua was, was, was down fighting the battle in the valley, Moses began to fight. And, and, and the tools that he used and the weapons that he used uh, were, were clear. He was there, the full picture, probably the greatest picture of intercession in the Old Testament. He's interceding. Well, what's a New Testament revelation? What is, what, where is there somewhere in the New Testament that would point to a tool that I could use in the secret that is going to move things in the supernatural realm? Well, let me give you three from the best sermon ever spoken. And you can write, write, write these down. First one is from Matthew 6, 4. Here's your first tool. Give in secret, and God rewards openly. Give in secret, and God rewards openly. Here's what is in the natural, down in the valley, it looks like a person is just simply giving an offering. But we don't give it to be seen of men. We don't give it for a pat on the back. We don't give it so they'll put our name on a brick somewhere or on a building somewhere. We're not doing that. We are actually giving in secret. And here's what it says. God, who sees in secret, moves supernaturally so it changes things in the open. Secondly, Matthew 6, 6, just two verses later, pray in secret and God rewards openly. You go into the secret place of prayer and you're not praying in front of people. You ever hear somebody pray a prayer and it just feels like they're talking to you? You know what they're doing? They're praying long prayers to be heard of men. So that everybody else just thinks that they're spiritual. Jesus said, they have their reward. He says, but you go into the secret place. And God, who is in the secret place, will hear you. And what happens? He rewards you openly. Your prayers in the private place, in the secret place, move things in the unseen until they then become seen. That is the weapon. That is, that is what God, is how he's teaching us how to fight. There's a third one, which a lot of people in Calvary right now are laying hold of. From Matthew 6, 18, just a few verses later. Fast in secret, and God rewards openly. This is, this is exactly what it says. These are quotes from these verses. Please go back. Don't believe me. Go and check. That when you fast in secret, God shifts things in the heavenlies and things start to change in the natural. 
You say, well, this is a, this is a corporate fast. Everybody knows about it. <laughs> well, that is true. And all throughout the scriptures, God called corporate fast, Esther fast, Ezra fast. There were, uh, there were corporate fasts that were called. But now, here's what our hope. Our hope isn't that you would only join us on a corporate fast once or twice a year. Our hope is that you would begin to get it down in your spirit that fasting is how I get things shifted and moved in the spirit. And I'm not giving this a, a law. I do this by grace. It's divine positioning to receive more of his grace, for, to see him move things. By the way, there was a time when uh, Jesus, James, and John, and Peter go up on the mountain. The glory of Jesus comes out. There's nine disciples down at the bottom of the mountain trying to get a young boy set free from being moonstruck. They prayed for him after seeing other people delivered from demons and other people healed, and the disciples could not cast it out. They come down off the mountain, and, the, and there's the, the father of the boy says, Listen, your disciples couldn't cast out this devil. What's the problem? Jesus looks at him later when they asked. They said, why couldn't we cast it out? We've had victory. He said this. This kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Can I just ask you a question? Was it God's will to heal the boy? We know it was. And yet the disciples couldn't do it. Why? Because they did not engage in the type of warfare that was necessary to get that young man set free. And men and women of God, don't let bad theology and bad experience take the things that God tries to give us as gifts. And we just say, well, no, I'm just under grace. I don't have to do any of that. That's nonsense. Grace, the embodiment of grace, is the one talking here. The one who was full of grace and truth. That's what he said. He said, if you'll do this in private, I'll shift things in the unseen until you see them in the open. That's why we want you to come and join us Wednesday. To pray and complete our 14-day fast. You may have not been fasting this whole time. Start. Do a partial fast. Fast from sunup to sundown every day. Do something. Maybe you could go all out, man. Just do a water fast. Do a juice fast. Whatever the Lord tells you. Stop eating sugar. Ooh, man. A couple demons just manifested. <laughs> but start and let's, let's, let's come together and pray. And let's watch God reward us openly for doing what he's called us to do. This is not about earning his love. He loves us no matter what. He loves us no matter what. This is about us stepping into the fullness of the grace that he offers. Now, a couple of things that I want you to see here. One last thing. Not only do we have to fight, but we have to fight together. If we're going to move into victory, we not only have to fight, but we have to fight together. Oh, 
I know what you're feeling. All of my introverts in the house were were shouting me down when I said, you got to pray alone. you got to give alone. you got to fast alone. All of you who just love to be by yourself, y'all were like, yes. And all of the extroverts in the house were like, no. I don't want to pray by myself and fast by myself and do other things without people. It's just me and God. Well, you'll like this part. Now we have to fight together. If we really want to get to the victory that God has for us, not only do we have to fight, but we have to fight together. Verse 12 says, Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Let me say something boldly and, and make no mistake about it. We need each other. We need to be in relationship with other people. Listen to this. There are some battles you will never win by yourself. Even when God has called you to victory. God spoke to Moses, said all you got to do is go up there, lift up the rod while they're fighting. You hold it up, they're going to win. Moses is like, all right, good, I'm in. He goes up there. And his hands get heavy. And it's not because he needed a shoulder workout. His hands got heavy. And let me suggest to you that if he had pursued God's purpose for his life all by himself, the victory which God intended for him to walk in, he would have never walked in and they would have been defeated that day. There are some victories in life, not all, there are some victories in life that you will only get when you get meaningfully connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot do this by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. You say, well, I have my husband or I have my wife. Well, Moses' wife wasn't on the top of the mountain. I bless you with that. (laughs) There were his, literally, his brother. And we need brothers and sisters to stand side by side and to actually do uh, something biblical so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has called us to. Now notice what they did. The first thing that they did is they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. This is symbolic of undergirding a person with God's word. This is a symbol of helping a brother or sister rest on what God has already said. They picked up the stone and they got it right under him and he sat down on the rock. 
brothers and sisters, there is a word from God that you need to give to other people so that they can rest in their calling. Here's what it looks like, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, if any man hears these teachings of mine, And does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a. And when the storms come and the rains come and the winds come and the floods come, that house will stand. And let me just tell you that in this story, it was Aaron and her that brought the solid rock foundation to Moses so he could walk in that purpose. Hebrews 3, 12 says, uh, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But, listen to these words, exhort one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we become particulars of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Listen, he's saying this. Exhort one another daily. Put a rock under somebody else. Who are you exhorting daily? You say, well, I don't really need that. Well, evidently you do. Because it says if you're not being exhorted daily, there is a hardness that's coming to your heart. That comes not because of your participation in sin. It comes because we're living in such a sinful planet. And that there is a blessing in someone else that will actually soften your heart to the things of God. And that happens in connection to someone else. Now notice the other thing that they did. They lifted his hand. They held his hands up. They supported his hands. This is the symbolic of the strengthening that comes through fellowship. And Galatians 6.2 says it this way. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? That you love one another. Can, can, can we just be real for a moment? Do you love God's call on your brothers and sisters in this house? Do you love, listen, I'm not talking about full-time vocational ministry. Each one of you has a full-time calling on your life from God. It's full-time in different areas of influence. It's a full-time calling. But do you love that calling? Then what do you need to do? You need to undergird that calling. You need to help them. You need to help their arms be lifted. You need to help them to be strengthened so that you too can answer your call. Hebrews 12, 12 says it this way, Therefore strengthen the hands that hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Can I say that in light of this revelation, if you want victory in the valley of rest, every single person here should go and sign up for a life group. Because if you're not the one whose hands are being held up, you're the one that's called to be alongside someone else to strengthen them. And this is, this is how we get connected and this is how we move into victory. We don't do it by ourselves.
We reject every thought that comes into our minds that says otherwise. It says something contrary to God's word. And there's all kinds. And let me just say, foundations is incredible. It's a great, if, if, if you've, even if you've been well-discipled, we've had Bible school graduates go through our foundations program. They literally weep, after, weep week after week, encountering God in that class. We had one lady raise the dead who's, who's been through it. Gail. Um, I know we all think, well, I'm not sure I need that. Well, on the other hand, we can all use a reminder about how to be established in the word, to be established in prayer, to learn to live a spirit-filled life, and then go on to discover how God has designed us so that we can walk in our destiny. And all of that is a part of that. And that, and that, that, that class meets, if you've never been through that, I think it would be a, an extreme blessing to you. But there are lots of other ones. And if, and it, you know, maybe you have, you know, you want to study with people your age. Amen. There's lots of those, lots of those uh, groups out there. Maybe some of you like volleyball. I saw we're doing a volleyball group again. Amen. But we're going to gather in grace around a volleyball. And I, I promise you, you may get a little bit better at volleyball, but you'll learn to walk with the Lord and walk with your sisters and brothers if you go to that group. I don't know which one God's calling you to, but I would just really encourage you. Go get, go get signed up. Let me close with this. The very last verse I read to you today was verse 13, and it says this. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, I've been studying the Bible for, well, a little bit, a little over 20 years. And I saw something new. I like it when I see something new. In this verse. I don't know why I was prompted to go and look this one up and really study this one out. Because I, I find it really interesting. Why didn't it say, and Moses defeated the Amalekites on the mountaintop? So I thought, I'm going to go look. And this is what it says. He defeated them with the edge of the sword. Now, I think it's about 37 times this word in Hebrew, edge, is, is translated edge. But over 270 times, it's translated mouth. And I learned something in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So Joshua, in the natural, defeated them with the edge of the sword. And you and I, in this natural realm, will defeat our enemies and enter into rest when we get God's word on our mouth. And I, I, here's, here's your new picture of rest. A new picture of rest. You, the Christian soldier. The word of God in your hand. And that sword is dripping with victory. That's what rest looks like. That's what it looks like. That when the enemy comes against me, all I do is apply the edge of the sword. The mouth, I put my mouth to work with God's word. 
and then victory is released. This year, our victory will come because we get God's word in our mouth. That's what we do in public. How we win in the secret is through prayer, fasting, giving, forgiving, and doing all the things that the Lord has called us to do. We will defeat the enemy and enter into God's promises with the word of God on our mouth. Why don't you bow your heads today?